Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Steve Pugh. Um, every week I try and speak to interesting people on something called the Growth Strategy Podcast. And my background is all business strategy, growth, that kind of thing. But actually one of the things that I think is often missing for real world people, real world business, businesses, is to speak to people like them who've been on the journey, who have really good kind of information and knowledge to share. Or actually they're just really interesting people that I think it's worth kind of, you know, talking to for 30, 40 minutes. Um, so last week I spoke to a guy called Tim Ward, who's an entrepreneur, who's got a startup which is great. Today I'm going to introduce you to Ian. Uh, we're going to go through a really good conversation for 30-40 minutes. Ian is a business leader, has been for a long time. He also got into podcasting years before I did or anyone else did. And actually back in the day he actually asked me to be a guest which I never ended up doing but actually it's brilliant to kind of role reversal but there's uh, so much experience and stuff that I want to talk through. Also an incredibly popular guy as well so hopefully a comment uh, I'll ask Ian at the appropriate time any comments that kind of come in and yeah hopefully you'll join us for a really interesting conversation. So Ian you're now live would you like to say hi to everyone? Good afternoon Mr Pugh hello everyone. <laughs> And I'm going to start right from the start. I love your background, by the way. Very uh, like premiership footballer, almost. <laughs> I won't be putting my boots on ever again. I don't think, Steve. <laughs> Are you a uh, Newcastle fan, Sunderland, neither? Sunderland fan, Stephen, Sunderland. Come on, come on now. <laughs> I thought, but I wanted to play dumb just in case I got it wrong. Which is... Well, surely my content on social may mention SEFC now and again. No. Or actually South Shields as well, because uh, South Shields are doing really well. Oh, cool. But I must also, one of my favourite things is just winding people up because I know how much Mackhams <laughs> hate Newcastle and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit of a religion up here, isn't it? So it's funny. So for people at home, uh, what will be interesting today, so we're going to talk about business stuff. We're going to talk about Ian's career. We're going to talk about podcasting. Probably going to talk about tech because people always ask me about stupid stuff that I spend money on, like lights and sound curtains and cameras and stuff. So Ian is the perfect guest to hopefully appreciate because I'm intrigued by that microphone you've got in front of you. Yeah, you know, you know, this is a really cheap microphone. This is a Samsung Q2U, um, often a starter microphone by podcasters. But I've got I've got Rode mics here and I just love this because it's so versatile. It literally plugs straight into your laptop. So obviously a Rode mic will plug in via XLR cables and mixers and stuff. I can just whack this straight into a, a laptop and it's... 50 60 quid and you're good to go and it sounds great yeah i 100 agree and actually one of the big things that people often miss is treating your room and getting your space right is more important <laughs> than the actual kind of um anyway we'll come to this later on i don't want to bore people <laughs> right at the start you I, love it man you I, love it i i love it too much is the worry because the other thing is we know <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's quite funny actually is that i had a, a team's call with a client in were they in Turkey before? And I'm now embarrassed that when I have a regular call and there's a background and there's a 65 inch TV and just stupid stuff in the background, I actually put on a fake background to hide what they think is a fake background. Right. Wow. And it's just, it's, uh, so it's now the point where I'm ashamed, but I love it too much. Anyway, this is all about you. Um, so would you like to tell people a little bit about yourself, just a summary before we kind of dive deep on Ian Farah? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm the founder of uh, Far North, you can see and a company called Carpway as well, and the host of the Industry Angel Business Podcast. Fantastic. So where were you kind of born and raised? South Shields boy, or, or well known as a sand dancer. So yeah, all my life been in South Shields, apart from working abroad now and again for different companies. Oh, cool. I'm sorry, I've had a few sand dancers on. There's a guy called Aaron Clark that's a finance guy who's from South Shields. And no. You're doing the American thing now where someone says, oh, England, you know the Queen, right? <laughs> But the funny thing is, that, and this is almost true because the Northeast does have a very relatively small business network. Yeah. Everyone kind of does know each other. Mm. That's the funny thing. So, um, yeah. And it's lovely. You've got an amazing network. We really do have some great friends, don't we? And we all, we all kind of help each other through and support each other's stuff, which is great. There's no kind of competitiveness. It's yeah. a lot of collaborations. But I think that's one of the things that I've almost been playing with a little bit is that with so I think, yeah, you've got a relatively small business community, you know, compared to London and whatever. Yeah. But actually, because the opportunity is so big and so many people are, are aiming to go big, so your podcast will go around the world. I think it is that camaraderie that actually is helping other people because we're trying to break America and India and uh, Nigeria and, you know, actually kind of <clears> do well. That I think there is a really good kind of support network. 
Um, anyway, so every week I try and ask people, oh, I think it's nice to find out a bit more about you and your background and what you like at school, purely because when these all get clipped up and go into YouTube and they'll stay there for kind of eternity, the hope is that someone in, I don't know, five years time, who whoever, might be a teenager now um, from South Shields looking to maybe think about starting a podcast, thinking about starting a business. And the more that they can relate to people from their area who've kind of got on a journey that they relate to. So for instance, people always think, oh, you have to be brilliant at school to go into business. And the answer is no, you don't. But actually, but it's that honest sharing of kind of background, I think is really, really valuable. So would you be happy to kind of walk us through your school days? What were you like? Were you good, a naughty kid? I think you're a naughty kid. It, it, it's it's really funny. I, I'm laughing there. I, I, I'll digress a second. I, I did a talk for a school, that's my old school, uh, last year, I think it was, before everything went crazy. And um, a young guy come up to me about a month after I gave the talk. <clears throat> he said, you're Ian, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved that talk he did at my school. He went, I was in sixth form, sixth form at the time. I went, are you, are you not anymore? He went, no, I quit the next day. <gasps> and I went, what, what, what? And he said, yeah, yeah, I heard what you said about, you know, how you left school and you wanted to get straight into apprenticeships and earning money and, you know, learning wasn't for you and you wanted to learn on the job and do daily. So we went, I've started an apprenticeship. I quit that week and he said, I reached out to a few people that I knew or my dad knew and got me apprenticeship the next day, and I'm loving it. Wow. He said, I'm absolutely loving it. And I was like, <laughs> close call. <laughs> but but it's, it's true. And it's one of the things that I remember all the way through school and stuff, all people champion was education, degrees, yeah. da, da, da. And ironically, the more you kind of go through that process, you realize they're not as valuable as people think. You know, I, was, I had this chat with my wife yesterday walking into town. It was almost that what you want is good work ethic, good passion, good yeah. commitments, whatever. And you don't, you, you can't be taught that. That is something that you have or you don't have. And, oh, ballsy move. I think some of the stuff we're doing right now as well is brand new, Steve. So it can't be taught because yeah. we're learning on the job, especially in my role, what we do here in Far North is we're trying to be really cutting edge with a lot of the social stuff, a lot of the content creation that we're doing right now. You kind of teach that. And even talking to Mark, and I do some guest lectures now and again for universities, and I'm talking to um, students within marketing and they're learning quite often dated techniques or all their books. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know some of the books, you know, are timeless, but sometimes I, I get shocked at the things that they, they're not being yeah, told. told. Yeah, I'm really. Um, but in terms of my school, I was rubbish, Steve. I was terrible. <laughs> and what's really funny as well, I kind of messed about a lot at school. And then 40 years later, I'm now the vice chair of my, of my first primary school, uh, Catholic school in South Shields here. And um, when I first got there as a school governor, um, my reception teacher was still there. <laughs> who used to smack me as a kid because he could smack people back then in the 80s. And uh, I still had it in for her. And I came through the door and she knew me and I knew her. <laughs> I was like, that's Because I moved away quite young, so I never really saw my teachers in Sainsbury's or whatever. Mm. But I can imagine it's just, it's... I, did you enjoy school? Was it a good fun time or not? Or? Um, secondary school, I, I really didn't. I really didn't, I, I didn't like learning. And I think we've got a lot to learn here in the UK. I don't open a massive, you know, kind of worms or, or jump on a soapbox. But as I say, I am a school governor and, and, I, and I do. Uh, I feel I've got a daughter who's 12. So I watch her um, education. I mean, example being today, I drove her into school. She had triple maths today. Yeah. She had double maths in the morning, in the afternoon, another math lesson. And the focus on math is just, I can understand, I know why I've seen the figures and stuff, but you pick a country like, you know, Finland, for instance, who are much less kind of laid back, but they're at the top of the, the, top of the rankings um, because they're not so prescriptive of what children need to do. They're not ranked, they're not put in streams. Even the teachers are quite self-autonomous in, in schools. So um, I didn't like it because it was just put me into a box and, and I don't care who Henry mm -hmm. VIII's wives are or the capital of Peru. If Neville Timeout's watching, that's a private joke. Um, you know, I want to know stuff that, that I'm really interested in because that's where we learn, you know. Is it Lima, by the way? Well but, done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, I agree with it because one of the things that I used to find is that whenever you give someone a label, labels stick. And I can't remember what they used to call it, but when I went to school, it was also a Catholic school. You had like uh, extension set, then you had one, two, three. And I can't remember what they called it, but there was the kids that maybe weren't as you know fast as the others. 
Yeah. But as soon as you put someone in that class and everyone knows it, they then start to play that character that they're never going to help them yeah. grow out of it. Yeah. But I 100% agree with you. That's a really good point. I was born in August and I was always a young, a young boy at school and it started really early. You know, and, and my mom used to always say to me, I, I wish you'd been born in September and you'd been the next year yeah. and been a lot more mature. Than- Can I throw out a really stupid stat? I don't know how much you read, but there's a, an author called Malcolm Gladwell does loads of like interesting yeah, books. Yeah. And he talks about actually, uh, he talks about American ice hockey players that made it to the NF, um, NHL. I almost yeah. said NFL, which would be stupid, but anyway. And actually, almost regardless of uh, talent or skill level or where they were coached or whatever, the biggest driver was actually when they were born. And it was all to do with that when you look, it'll be the same with Sunderland or any football club or whatever. If you're born in August, you're in the same class as someone that's arguably a lot older than you, a lot stronger Mm. than you, whatever. That when you're constantly then for the next 15 years compared side by side against these dudes, they're always going to be bigger, stronger, faster on average. But that plays a massive difference throughout your school. So I should really resent my brother that was born 23rd of September. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a June boy, so I'm at the opposite. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is completely true. And likewise with um, academics, if you're born in September, you in theory have nine months more development yeah. than people that don't. And yeah. that's it's that's really bad if you think about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so how did you like go through school to the point where, like, did you do A-levels? Did you get a job? How did you? Yeah, as soon as I left, I, I'd, I'd kind of realized that I should have been, I should have been actually doing some work in terms of revising. So um, I went straight back on night classes and had to reset GCSEs um, to get into the college or the course that I wanted to do. So I started working and then doing day release, like an apprenticeship sort of scheme, but doing day release. So um, I had to do a BTEC first certificate because I didn't have enough to do my ONC before going at the HNC. And then I also did uh, A-levels on an evening as well. So really when I left school, I thought, what have you just done? You just absolutely blew it, man. And then I had to kind of, so this is what I'm saying to my kids, don't do what I did and have to catch up on evenings when everyone's playing yeah, football yeah. and going out and I'm back in night, night school trying to catch my uh, qualifications back up. But I must admit, um, anyone that has been through that, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you've had almost a, a setback, if you're strong enough to fight through it, for me, that's where you get your drive and your passion from that probably still burns inside you now that actually in many ways gives you an advantage because a lot of people don't have that. So mm. I think it, it's, you know, it, it can be a horrible time to kind of go through, but actually, you know, that could be part of the reason why you've done so much is just that. What was really interesting is that I studied engineering um, and I was atrocious, Steve. You know, I, I know you, that's your background. I was absolutely I'm rubbish atro- as well. Don't, don't tell oh, me. Honestly, I, man. Stop paying me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing with me is I, I worked for uh, NEI at the time, you know, and you had Parsons, Clark Chapman's and, and Railroads, you know, big engineering institutions here in the Northeast who were then subsequently taken over by by Siemens. And, and before that, Rolls-Royce actually part of the group. And I was a very small fish in a huge pond of absolute rock stars. You know, I'd be sitting next to people with PhDs and masters and obviously degrees. And I'd be sitting there like thinking really lost and and feeling quite inadequate that I was just terrible. Um, And I remember reaching out to a guy um, who was in a different department to me. And and I'd heard him talk on communication meetings, toolbox talks, town halls, that sort of stuff. And I I loved the guy. I was really impressed by the way way he was. And... um, this was before mentorships were a thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I went and had a chat with him. I said, you got five minutes. And I said, look, you know, I, I love what you do. I, I'm over in the other building doing engineering. And to be honest, I'm not very good at it. Um, and he went, what do you want? I went, I want your job. <laughs> and he said, well, that, that's cool. He said, I want my boss's job. And he said, well, maybe I could bring you over and, and, and get you there. And he became my kind of unofficial mentor, but I managed to get a, a sort of secondment over in that department, which was commercial. And it was all about sales and, you know, uh, generating relationships, having relationships, having real talks, uh, not just playing with Excel spreadsheets and, and, and trying to do 3D draftsman's drones. And it was just something that I've just excelled in. I absolutely loved it. I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing. And, and that was it. I was, I was away, you know, because I'd found you something that, that fitted. I'm the same. I was always, I found at uni that with, it was funny because when you go from school to uni that's how i found it was that you were the the big fish in the small ponds mm. so suddenly you're in a much bigger pond 
but it was it was the diversity of the people so for instance we had a large number of the people on the course were from china and people different backgrounds and they were just blitz like they were like computers they were just blitz yeah. the 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 maths and whatever the you know it was i was embarrassed at how bad i was compared to but as soon as you ask a group activity for leadership mm -hmm. creativity yeah how do you solve this how do you bring people together how do you organize people they couldn't do it and actually i found my niche i like talking as well you know but actually so it's good to understand it but i know i'm not very good at it and that's where I built my whole career around actually, but I do like talking to people. I like doing creative stuff. I like being techie with stupid stuff that nobody else wants yeah. to do. And it, again, so it's brilliant that you almost, you found what your passion is. I found out what you're good at. Yeah. And, and, and interesting enough, what else I found out was I went to, I went to work with a, with an SME. There was 30 of us in a company. And, and that's again, where I really found out my passion because when I'd worked in some of these real large establishments, I got into an, an SME and a friend of mine asked me to join. Um, and it, I was just amazed. I was like, well, wh where's the process for this? We don't have one of them. Right. Well, well, who does this bit? Well, you, right. Okay. Well, I need one of those. What do I do? We we'll just go and buy it. And I was like, eh, this is weird. Well, I had all these processes and we used to turn like an oil tank and now we're just very, very agile. And I absolutely loved it. And I joined this BDM. I was then head of sales and marketing. I was then asked to join a board as commercial director. The company went through a management buyout, subsequently acquired. And, you know, that was a 25 year old business that I joined and then suddenly, you know, 10 years later, it was, it was acquired. So I'd really found my niche as well within commercial side within an SME. And that was it. I was just, again, buzzing, you know, okay. I, I must say, I think SMEs don't get enough credit in terms mm. of a, a uni or at school. It's always our oh, Rolls Royce, big, big companies, big Google, whoever. And actually for most people, I can, most people do work in SMEs, but the career progression, the potential to make an impact, the potential to develop is miles and miles and miles better in small companies because bigger companies need structures, but so it depends what you want, but no, fascinating. So how did you then go through to the point where you started your first business? Yeah. I, I, don't get me started on innovation within SMEs because that's where it is. And that's where all big companies know that the government knows that, and we should be back in SMEs much more than we are. So I'll come off my soapbox now. Um, I started for North about six years ago. I'd come out of that business and I had seven months off and I was just really, really stressed out. I, I often talk about my burnout journey. Um, I burnt out three times within my thirties just by pushing too hard, wow. um, by working overseas, by working long hours and just going all in. Uh, to, you know, to grow the company, but I also got quite addicted to um, winning, you know, winning work, you know, I was, it was like gamification, I was incentivized. So, you know, bonuses, commission, and then we start, you know, in, in my thirties, we wanted a bigger house, more children. And you just think, and if I can just make that sale and if I can get it in this year, then that means we can buy that house, go on holiday, whatever it is. And I was just push and push and push until the point where I kind of burnt out and, when I started this business, I was like, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen to me. And that's not going to happen to my team. I really don't want that ever to happen again. So I built this business to help other people's companies grow through mm -hmm. sales and marketing, but I built it based on culture. I didn't, I didn't base it on figures, Steve. I didn't sort of put targets in place. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was just be good to people, have a really good culture and the numbers take care of itself, just down to relationship building. And, and it has, you know, it's, it's absolutely, I'm, I've never worked, I've never worked a day in the last six years. I absolutely love it. You know, when did you, I'd love to pick your brains on the, the journey <clears throat> purely because I speak to a lot of people that a lot of whom are in employment, but they have the burning idea to start a business all the way through to people that are just started, et cetera. Yeah. But almost, at, at what point did you get the itch? Cause obviously I guess when you had some time off, you mm. could have got another job. Yeah. What was it that made you want to like take the leap? I think I'd, I'd gone through a really bad time at work, Steve. I, I literally couldn't work for anybody. I think I was quite, un, I became quite unemployable just through working through bad cultures. You know, I'd done a little bit of um, consultancy work after that as well. And I just was seeing companies that are just purely led on short termism, you know, trying to grow, um, you know, not looking after the teams very much figures based and I, Very I just, I just, I can't, I, I literally can't do it. It's, it's not me inside. I, I kind of, 
I kind of really grill in a, a colleague because they haven't performed in the way that I wanted them to perform or the company wanted them to perform. So, you know, everyone will say, you know, I wish I had the opportunity to start a business. I've heard that many times and I just can't do it. Or even things in life, Steve, people will say, you know, I, I might get married next year or we're going to move house maybe in two years. Maybe, maybe next year. Yeah, 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 of course. And we might have a baby then. It's just like now you've got to do it now. Because I always didn't want to have that shoulda, woulda, coulda thing or get into like maybe 60s, 70s. And you know, there's lots of entrepreneurs do start businesses at that age. But I wanted to do it. And I think it was, I was 40 actually. I had a huge mortgage as well and everything. You know, I'd, I'd really, I'd really have mortgage anxiety. I was looking at my bills thinking I've got to earn this. And then actually when I dealt, when I dialed it back, I thought, well, you don't. You don't need all the flash cars and, you know, the, the, the you know, nice holidays and things that cut your cloth accordingly. So basically I just looked at what, what was the least I could live on and then thought, right, could I start a business and pay myself that? So I always say to people, I'd never earned as little, I'd never worked as hard, but I'd never been as happy. Yeah. Well, it's funny because <clears> I used to, very our career paths are actually very similar because I've worked in sales and business development. <clears throat> and then likewise, I always wanted to buy nice cars. And for me, it was the point of when I was growing up, I could never have had them. Mm-hmm. And actually, so to achieve, it was a really big personal achievement. But actually, once I'd done it, I, I was actually quite happy to, to sell it and let it go. But actually, yeah. when I started <clears throat> this, I did exactly the same. And I, I actually sold when uh, the second lockdown was going to hit. I had an E-Class Mercedes and it was just I wasn't using it, but actually it wasn't making me happy as where the fulfillment of actually just doing this and talking to you now makes me happy. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but it was the point. So I drive a almost 10 year old Kia Seed now mm-hmm. and I absolutely love it because it just gets me from a house to here. And for me, the joy is in the creativity of trying to do something, even if it fails, but that's where I get my contentment from. It's got nothing to do with, um, you know, fancy things. That being said, it had its place and it helped me in the journey. But now exactly what you just said, I've never earned less, but actually I'm really enjoying it, which is cool. It's funny you talk about failure, you know, in this country, failure, it's frowned upon. It's like a scarlet letter. If you fail, if you, if you've, if you've haven't succeeded in the company or another, you've tried another company and it's went bust in other countries, you know, that that's, that's kind of like experience. And in America, they that. celebrate it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and it's quite frowned upon here and I, and I just can't get my head around it, to be honest. So you mentioned Far North. Would you like to give mm. a completely 100% sales pitch to what it is and what it does? <laughs> um, we just help people grow, Steve. That, that's basically how I, how, I, how I term it out, it's through sales and marketing. So the company's split. Um, I do a lot of business coaching, mentoring, and the training side. And then there's another side of the business that kind of gobble up everything that comes out of that. So when I go in and meet people in the organizations, they'll say like, oh, you know, um, I wish I could have more leads, right? Okay. Tell me a bit about the business. And then, so it's like upskilling them, but it's like, right. Okay. I think what you need is maybe a new website. Let's have a look at your social media. Let's have a look at your branding, your marketing, digital stuff. So that gets all done as well by, by us. So sales and marketing for me was hand in glove in the last business I was in. What I noticed was we'd have marketing companies come in and try to give us a website, but they knew nothing about the company and they knew nothing how it was, how we sold our products and nothing how we generated leads. And that's, you've got to take a holistic approach to sales and marketing. And, and, and there's always been a bit of friction traditionally with those two departments in, in a bigger organization. But I think when you properly understand it, marketing is all about understanding the customer, understanding yourself and understanding the market. And that's what I was called this morning with a company that of a very niche techie engineering type product, and they want to sell to major multinationals. But the one thing that you need to be able to understand the client and the product to really find the pain point or find the, the chat up line, as I call it, to be able to yeah. have a message which triggers with them to get their attention. But it's, yeah, so I think it, they are one in the same. They're part of the same dance. Um, so I can oh, 100%. 100% agree with you. Yeah, totally. So really it was about being one trusted partner, you know, being able to do the whole thing and not have to say, well, okay, we do this bit, but I know someone who does that bit. No, no, let, let, let's do it all. And and that's tough that, that sometimes that's a stretch for us as a, as a business. And sometimes we take on bits that we don't make money from. There's less profit in it, but it gives a better service. And I always, my, every morning we have our GSD meeting and can I swear on this? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's get shit done. You probably, you know, everyone knows that term. We have a GSD meeting and every, t- every time is I want a star. That's an A star quality. That's what I want out of a business. 
I want, I want our clients to love us. I want to love them. I actually just, just had a conversation about 20 minutes before we joined and said, if you don't let that particular client, we'll just, we'll move them on because I want you guys to enjoy your clients as well. If you don't like any projects, we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. But in the past, it was all about the numbers and yeah, I know there'll be a pain, but you know, let's, let's sort that out. No, not this time. If, a, if there's not a cultural fit with our clients, we, we'll move them on because I, I don't want people worried or getting bullied, frankly. Yeah. You know, I've seen that in the past as well by clients. Yeah. That kind of upstairs, downstairs relationship. Happens a lot. And like even just the the expectation of something comes in like 7 p.m. on a Friday and it's the feeling of, do I do it now or do I wait? Yeah. And sometimes, it's been mm. on the clients who will be a lot more understanding than others. But there's a balance there. Um, so with when you set up the business, did you have a dream about what it was you wanted to create? That's a really good question. I often answer that with this kind of diagram and then it goes straight and then a bit more curly because, you know, you never start a business and then a nice straight line where you think it's going to go. Your, your clients coerce you, your own interests do, technology changes, your friends get involved, your family push you and you listen and you learn. And so uh, this business has just gone round and round and round. And so no, this bit that I'm in right now is no way what I thought was going to be six years ago. Six years ago, I just thought I'd be a consultant, Steve, to be honest. I just thought it'd be me. I'll try and replicate my income and have no staff because I'd had a lot of problems in the past, you know, and just people not working, good culture. I don't like him. And she said this and just thought, I just can't deal with people anymore. I'll just be a consultant. And then slowly but surely, something had to give. You know, I had to bring somebody in uh, because clients stopped pushing you and coercing you. And actually, I wasn't at that point mentally, if I'm honest, to to have a, to open another company with people in it. I, I didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the headspace to do it. But now I have, and the gloves are off now. And to be honest, it's not. I, I can't put the brakes on anymore. It's freewheeling down the hill the way it's where it feels, and I'm just trying to roll alongside it and and keep it keep it steered in the right direction. You no, know? but it's it's really exciting. I love it. So almost where you you launch, you learn, you iterate, mm. you evolve, you do it again. <laughs> And again, yeah. it, it's just how things change. So out of interest, so you started the podcast also about six years ago. Yeah. 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 Can I ask you why did you start the podcast? Um, so I was a huge fan of uh, audio books and internet radio. This is a long story, this one, but I'll try and keep it short. I'm a huge goal setter. I give myself a goal of reading the top 100 books as recognized by the BBC and I always say to people that if they've ever seen Moby Dick or um, if they've ever read Dostoevsky, it's they're just, you know, are the classics. So what I started doing was kind of cheating a little bit and I was listening to them as audiobooks. Um, and I also loved internet radio. So I loved some stuff in the States. I'm a huge fan of like conspiracy theories and UFOs and secret bases and stuff. So I was listening to the likes of Art Bell on Coast to Coast. And just love and dial into some of those American radio shows. And then I found that purple icon on my phone, podcasts, Apple podcasts at the time, and started searching on all the things that I was interested in, particular genres. And that's the way I learn. You know, I've got loads of books. People send me books all the time and I, I don't read them, but don't tell them that. I love them. I love having them as ornaments that are all signed. Um, but yeah, that's my chosen way to learn. So I was just bashing through content two times speed. That's how I listen to my podcast. I'm literally just taking it all in quick. And then I thought, you know, if I'm going to start a company, why don't I kind of document it? And, you know, I'm 210 episodes or something. I, over, out of all them episodes, I've spoken to some absolutely amazing people. So I'm also learning as well, quite self-indulgently. I'm meeting fantastic people and learning from them. So, you know, people often say, you know, how do you monetize your podcast and things like that? Well, it was never about money. You know, you don't make money from your podcast. You make money because you have a podcast. Sometimes mm -hmm. people will say, well, you know, I, I know you in that particular field. We like what you do. Can you come and work with me? So it was never something around the money. It was something to document, to create content like you, Steve. It's exciting. It's great, isn't it? You only create do you still get content. nervous? I've got to ask. I don't, but I'm going to put massive butt in here. So I'm a keynote speaker as well, Steve. So I'll speak at conferences about various topics. I'm a member of the Professional Speaking Association. So, I, you know, I, I, I can talk and do lectures and I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I, it's like 
crossing that white line when you're a substitute, you come off the bench and you, you want to cross the white line, you're excited. But you made me nervous before you came on because you did all your little techniques and you were getting yourself in the zone. Well, I'm there's a reason why I stand up. Like, oh, oh my word, <laughs> where's <It's> just... this going? <laughs> no, but, but, you know, so for instance, on my LinkedIn, it's, I remember the first time I ever <clears> thought <throat> I would even try to live stream because I knew I wanted to do it because I could see the potential of the internet and to hit lots of people and stuff. But when you've got quite a few connections, like they all see it or it all pops up. And if it's garbage, oh, it's it's scary. It's scary. And even now, like I'm kind of a bit more relaxed now because I've kind of got a better setup and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I still get nervous doing it. Like, but once I kind of relax into it, I rarely enjoy talking to people. And what I've almost found is that with, and you probably see this as well. So on your social media, on your LinkedIn, you might have 10,000 people. 9,050 will never comment, never like anything, but they yeah. still watch it. Yeah. And, you know, they often actually really enjoy it. God knows why they don't like or comment. And then you'll have a few. So hi, uh, what's Saratha? We've had a few people kind of comment and stuff as well. But it's, and then you have your core niche that actually kind of interact and stuff as well. But it's it's still kind of, hi, Rory. And so it, so is that a question then call you over quantity, Steve? So would you rather have a thousand engaged people or would you rather have 10,000 as your network? Well, but this is why I was interested to ask why you launched mm. the podcast. Because for me, my core revenue at the moment is consultancy. Mm. And actually I'm good at it. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that anything I do, I really threw my heart and soul into it, that I want the quality to be good with the yeah. idea being that, you know, if I was doing this from a crappy webcam with terrible sound, that might reflect on the quality of my service. But the reason I do this is that I have realistically three main clients that pay me on retainer every month. If, you know, and that's been going on for like a year, if one of them is to drop off, I might choose to mm -hmm. add another, but I wouldn't want to handle <clears throat> two. So actually, although I pump this out to a lot of people, I'm actually only aiming at maybe 10 people. And everything I do, the live okay. streams on a Friday, the podcast, the interviews, everything is actually about developing relationships with a very small number of people. Yeah. And that's why I do it. So my way to monetize is in building relationships and stuff. Because the other thing that I found as well is that people like to work with people they see as being consistent. So even if they don't like this and they never watch them, knowing that you're going to show up every week and commit to it and the quality is good, it keeps you on people's radar that from a business development point of view, if they ever want to hire, if they ever want to buy what you're selling, there's a higher chance they're going to pick me because I'm on the, the back of their mind. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's added value because what you're doing is now you're constantly giving free content and free value to people that they're enjoying because it's, they're getting half an hour of content and they might get a few golden nuggets and that might actually change their, the way they do their business or anything. And that's free, all free. But the same with you. And it's, it's <clears> almost <throat> one of the things that I did also notice is that when, Obviously, people don't care about me. Some do, but they love to hear your story, and especially your friends love to see you do this. That when I, I was find that I was clip this up, and I'll do it as a separate clip that I repost as like a ten minute thing, and it's that because when people can catch up with that at any point, it gets the biggest traction. <clears throat> but people love to see their friends do well. So actually, yeah. it's it's then as you pick your. How do you, do you pick your guests or do people approach you or a bit of both? I'm just, oh. <laughs> I think we're going to say, do you pick your friends? <laughs> no, but for the podcast, you know, in terms of, do you, do you from a bit, because obviously this is a business strategy related podcast. Do you ever think, well, actually I'd love to work with those people. So for instance, Greg's brilliant Northeast company. Mm -hmm. I love the marketing, love everything they do. Have you ever thought actually, I'd love to work with Greg. So therefore I'm going to approach the CEO at Greg's if he wants to come on. Have you ever used no, that as a tool? No, it's a it's a really it's an interesting one this one because you, you, you we get 30 requests a week maybe now to come on the show and we probably take one percent of them um because they'll be just scattergun approach you know sometimes they've just changed ian and the in the email and it's blue and the rest yeah, black yeah. you know um or awful 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 stuff and if you're ever in sales and marketing you'll know how to write a good email that's not the way to do it so I'm more interested in who the audience want to hear from, but also topics that the audience want want to hear about as well. So I've had, I had a, a guy ask me to do a Brexit show. Uh, I've had a Bitcoin request, you know, cryptocurrency stuff. And yeah, yeah, of course, so I'll go out and look for that particular person. But in terms of reaching out to clients or potential clients and some of these companies, 
you know what, Steve? I love I love the underdog, right? I, I I I get a bit when I'm talking and I'm in a conference. I'll come off stage and I'll be sitting there and I'll be really intently watching other speakers about how they do and what their stories are because we all learn from stories. Mm-hmm. We're all storytellers now. They're all talking about the Amazons of the world and the mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos and the, the Tesla stuff, and I'm like, oh. We've got so many amazing companies here in the Northeast. So I don't really have much interest in some of them ones that turn like oil tankers. I really want to know about the, the underdogs who are really in the trenches right now. And, and you know, if and I can the, give them a little bit of a leg up and expose them, then awesome. That's so exciting for me. Same because that's the same approach I take. And bear in mind, ninety-nine percent of businesses are SMEs. Yeah. Because the other thing as well is part of the reason why I do this, and I'm sure it's the same for you. It's almost that you get. A lot of people that talk the talk, but not many people actually put their cock on the block and actually do stuff. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But it takes balls to actually, you know, so if you're mm-hmm. telling, I remember years ago, I was at a company and we were looking at marketing providers and there was one lady in particular, I had a meeting with her and we met in Krispy Kreme in Gateshead near the mm-hmm. Metro Center. Yeah. And she was saying, oh, Steve, you should really do more video. And I was like, well, I do. You might've noticed. But anyway, this was years ago. And she was like, so I said to her, well, do you do video? <laughs> oh no no we don't do that i was like well what? why don't you do it if you tell me to do it oh yeah, yeah but it's more like do as i say not do as i do or whatever yeah but it was just a lot of people talk the talk but they don't actually do it and that's one of the reasons why i also like doing this because people obviously people will see you try and fail but at least they'll see you try it was where a lot of people don't even get that far and by the way uh, chris owens is calling us mr and mr uh live stream so <laughs> it's like a, how cool is chris though uh... he's taking my picture on wednesday is he really? He is. is he's good, man. He's good. I tell you the thing about Chris is he makes you feel so relaxed, you know, where these people tell you to smile and move around and can he shows us he just lets you do what you want to do. He's cool. So Chris took my picture last, I think it was last August. It was mm-hmm. pre-lockdown, pre but he took my picture last year. And when he announced that he was doing his deal, which is tomorrow and Wednesday, maybe space is available if you get in touch. But the what I love, but I, I appreciate his craft, but again, mm. at this point, you know, you have lots of really great photographers. But when we were saying about the consistency of you doing a new podcast or a live stream yeah. with the Northeast Times every yeah. month, I don't have one to hand, but it was just his artwork yeah. month after month after month. And obviously when I was doing my PhD, I started a photography business then, but I really appreciate the craft and that's why I'm shooting at F1.8 now to blur them. But I, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But then likewise, but with, um, yeah, Chris taking my picture on Wednesday, I've I've got ideas, but I'm I will trust whatever he wants to do because yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a lot better than I. <laughs> and yeah. but I but I love working with really good people, and that mm, that for me, me is the fun bit of actually doing this because actually in previous jobs, there was always someone else holding the purse strings, and it'd be like okay I want to spend money on this, mm, do it on the cheap, and that's almost part of the reason why I had to learn to do everything because I had to because nobody yeah. paid, and actually but now I'm doing my own thing. It's like. I want to work with Chris. I'm going to, I'll probably book photos with Chris every six months. And, it, but you know, it's just, it's that, I just love working with good people. So that's I'm good. sure you'll get a few free photographs after all this plug. I mean, I know his stock's really high, but wow, it's just rocketed again, isn't it? <laughs> but no, he, he's a, he's a great guy. And it's just, I, well, I guess I'll see him again on Wednesday. Um, can we jump back to your <clears> podcast, please? Um, just because people always ask me and I said I'd ask, and then we can talk about it. So what was your setup when you first set up? Did you just use a, a phone or how did you kind of get started? Um, basically with the Samsung Q2U, might even be this one actually, I've got about three of them. Um, yeah, just that. And actually I, I've got a Zoom. Have you, you've seen a Zoom? A Zoom yeah, yeah. Audio yeah, 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 yeah. So versatile because you can plug two microphones in the bottom as well as them having their own microphones on the top. So if I, if I was ever at a conference, and there was a speaker there, I might have grabbed them at the end and just whipped out my Zoom that was in my man bag and just, you know, put it in front of us. And I literally could grab 10 or 15 minutes, like a roving reporter sort of style. That was pretty cool. And then when I do live stuff uh, in here, when we're allowed to do it in front of an audience, basically I just pop my Zoom on the floor. And, and wait, wait, wait. Two... You've got yeah. like chairs in an audience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to yeah. come and play. I just don't, because actually what you'll do is you'll tempt me to spend more money and get a bigger <laughs> Like I say, you know, we, we people come in, we'll have beer and pizza. You probably get about 60, 70 people in. We used to have a great time downstairs. How big is your place? Where are you based? I'm, I'm in a business center in South Shields. So downstairs, is, there's a big conference room. So we just have that for the night. I know uh, you bring, are, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bring beer and pizza in. And we're actually still doing it. I'm still doing self-time side business talks for them now, but it's, it's remote. 
when we do it downstairs, we'll just I'll just set up set a guest a bit like Parkinson or a Wogan. I'm sure I'm sure my age here. Um, and literally just plug that, put that zoom on the floor between the two of us now and just look down and check the levels. But just put put a boom, a boom arm in and just put these mics on. It just works fine. You don't need to spend an absolute mm. fortune. And I know lots of people do procrastinate and they'll say, like, I'm gonna wait till I get a better camera. My lighting's not as good. If the audio is fine and you don't have to spend a great deal, you could do it less than a hundred pounds, just start. So, you know, with this mic plugged into my laptop, I was good to go. Uh, just with a pop filter on in a relatively deadened room. And it was probably my kitchen table at the time, I think it was. Uh, and then just roving reporter with my zoo. See, what was quite funny, so I started a year ago in my spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. It's like the office. And it's a pretty small room, so it's about eight feet. I can just about touch both walls. It's, it's small. And then bear in mind, you've got to fit the camera in the middle. But I was getting really bad echo, so what I did was, my wife used to hate it. I go into my bedroom and take the pillows and then stack <laughs> yep. them up and it works and then even before i moved to this room like i don't know a month ago upstairs i i had six uh tesco's basics pillows for like three quid <laughs> and i literally i would use them just to try and dampen the room but mm. i must have, i kind of went big and expensive in here but it, it does work because again it's that element of if the, the sound quality is trash nobody's going to listen to it so almost yeah. even if the content's really good it's not going to work. But again, you don't yeah. have to spend a fortune. You'd have to spend 30 grand on stuff that you... No, and, and I've turned loads of podcasts off before just because the audio was terrible. I mean, actually, in this room, it's a bit where you've got boom-based um, foam in the corners and, you know, sound panels everywhere. It's still a bit echoey. Um, but yeah, I've turned off loads of great podcasts before because the sound's been terrible. So I think there's so much co- content out there. We've got so much to choose from when people choose yours uh, it's it, i feel quite honored yeah so yeah it makes it, that's that's almost why i do this and it's like when i do my classroom thing on a friday morning live q a mm-hmm. it's like when someone tunes in from um india or dubai or something and you can talk to them i just it's mind-blowing and it's just i, I love it i just anyway um who's the best guest you've ever had oh wow wow um I love Ted Rubin. Ted Rubin's probably one of the top marketers in the world. He wrote um, a book. What was it called? How to look, how to look, even the eye digitally, was it? Anyway, Ted has just got a fantastic ethos, values, culture. He's amazing. He, he spent some time with Seth Rogan. Uh, um, Seth, yeah. He used to work at New York with Seth and he would get in early apparently. Um, so then Ted did as well, and he would just sit next to him and just soak it all up, you know. So Ted was amazing. Uh, Jeffrey Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasm, um, uh, quite a well-known marketing book. Uh, I spoke to Jeff. He was pretty cool. Um, I like Adventurous Steve as well, and that's just me being self-indulgent. I love the people tell you how they got through. You Have know, you the trials seen and tribul- or tried the Jason Fox Wild Tales podcast? I have, yes. Sponsored by Talisker, as he always says. Talisker, yes. Apparently. Apparently (laughs) it's sponsored by (laughs) Talisker. He just, he doesn't stop mentioning it. But anyway, but actually (laughs) I met Foxy at this, it was an oil and gas event and he's, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. 6'3", but he's a big kind of guy. But I love, he's, he's very genuine. And when he asks his guests about their adventures and stuff that they've done, like, because he kind of understands it, but then likewise, he'll break it down into layman's terms for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it. But again, it's a way that, it gives you live to live out adventures and he talks to people that mm. went through sailed across the Atlantic on their own or whatever. And you kind of get to live it for that 40 minutes. And it's, yeah. and this is again, one of the big elements of communication is the fact that you can hear the tone of voice and the storytelling and, you know, the funny anecdotes and stuff that you don't get in books in written word. I think one of the one, ones that always stands out, actually James is a friend of mine now and he wrote the ultimate triathlon because James did row ro- ro- uh, the Atlantic single-handedly cycled around the world and climbed Everest, uh, wow. the ultimate triathlon. And uh, James is just inspirational stuff. And I think when you when you hang around, if you like, you know, the, uh, you know, you probably heard the average of the five people that you hang with. When you include people like this in your network, you quickly realize, well, I certainly did, that, that I really haven't done much. So now it, it gave me a little push to, to do things. So I'm always setting myself goals. Mm-hmm because I'm inspired by others. So it's, you know, I love meeting people. Because what's also fascinating is when you kind of dig into the stories and you kind of connect with them and whatever. Many of the adventurers didn't make any money. 
they did it because they were passionate about it yeah. but back to yeah. the point of what you were saying about at the, the, the start you know it's when you really find your passion it's got nothing to do with how much money you make and it's just if you have an interest in fun life and good stories and good banter and back to wogan wogan had some of the most underappreciated banter of like the 80s oh, 90s i loved it absolute legend if you ever seen him on eurovision my word what a humorous guy fast yeah, yeah. who's the worst guest you've ever had um don't say me <laughs> I, 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 I won't i won't i've had two but i won't name them but i'll tell you a little bit about them both of them are quite high profile and they're all in it for themselves if i'm honest and they are very unappreciative because you know at the end of the day you're you're exposing your audience to them yeah so then you've got to be very humble and you know give as much as you can and give a good show be thankful oh man it felt so transactional and it's one of them ones where like don't meet your heroes kind of things so i really looked up to these pair and uh yeah so yeah i've had a have had a couple i've also had a couple who've slipped the net you know you know when they reach out steve and you think oh they could they'd be pretty good i'll put them on um one lady from america she was just wild i thought i can't put her on i actually can't put her on so she kept emailing saying when's my episode live when's my episode oh, i might have had a few problems with the technical sound quality <laughs> so do, do you do any live live yeah all the time yeah, yeah i was gonna say have you ever had any shocking live technical issues like just torpedo you whilst you're on yeah can you remember the eight hour well eight hours 42 live stream i did with 16 guests back to back um april fool's day of last year that was wild because that was a seamless segue to what i was about to ask you about so okay. do you want to tell us about it yeah obviously lockdown happened in like the march time wasn't it and i think we were just lost a lot of us were just lost in the in the business community in our little network and content was drying up social media linkedin was just dead a lot of them just didn't know what to do do a stop do a start or a furlough is this for good and i just thought right i'm gonna reach out to people and it actually gave me some focus if i'm honest um because my work had stopped as well i had an invoice for two months so i just thought right i'm gonna i'm gonna speak to a few people and then when i reached out to a few people and said look i'm gonna put this on april fool's day um i can't remember what i called it now let's get back or something back to bit i can't remember what i called it now um and then everyone said they would do it because normally everyone's like well i can't make next week mate but i know next time and then but of course 16 people who were doing nothing because everyone was doing nothing said yes so it went ahead and See, i thought it was, it was just, just you getting drunk with jeff cam talking about star wars and stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're doing well, it was supposed to be eight hours but an extra 42 minutes of, of, of drinking with jeff at the end i was punch drunk actually i was absolutely flagging i was so tired um normally we do sort of two to three hour little mini conferences once every couple of months i've got a couple of booked in um i've got a third sector one and an art specific one and you'll know yourself steve it's quite tiring isn't it to speak to somebody but then you're now thinking about what question you're going to ask me, yeah, even though you're trying to listen to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And then you're looking for a little segues and oh, I'll go off on that little tangent. It's tiring. 16 people back to back. And of course, I didn't know what they did. I had like my local MP on, I had Alfie Joey on, you know, lots of like, quite diverse people talking about different stuff. And I'm like trying to hold my own. <laughs> Almost, it, I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is. I had hmm. someone critique me or give me notes on something that i was doing to do with live stream or something and it's like i don't have a producer i don't do, so i have to make sure it's technically all working talk yeah. to someone at the same time as checking the stream read my questions yeah. read the comments that come in at the same time yeah and still be engaged it's it's tough but but that's why i appreciate your craft because it is difficult and and you're live as well which has its own nerves uh -huh. because you know as soon as you press that button then the nerves start to kick in well i said the wrong thing i mean you never do but you'll just start the mind's so strange when you lie because all sorts of things will be flying and stuff so it's really interesting it's a bit like being a speaker and someone at the end saying you know i really enjoyed that what, what i want people to say is you know which bits did you really enjoy what, what bits did you did you not but you feedback is a gift and you don't need to take the wrapping off it you know so if someone gives you some feedback i, I want i want them to kind of say look do you want some feedback you know but sometimes people give you it and it's like oh it's a bit harsh yeah. i didn't ask for that <laughs> anyway um what's the dream 
either it could be personally, professionally, business-wise, climb Everest? Yeah, um, I, I think I'm potentially going to do Kilimanjaro. Um, nice. But Everest would be good, and everyone knows that I've always wanted to do it. And my parents know that if I get to the top, I'm quite happy if I don't come back down again. My mom's like, no, you what? <laughs> I, I love adventure. Imagine really, what a really... story that is, though. Oh, man. Well, do you know what it is as well, actually? There's a lot of adventures now doing other things because Everest is a very commercial. There's literally a wire you clip yourself yeah. on and people drag you for 80 grand or whatever. Um, the dream for me is basically like this. I'm absolutely loving this. I've got you know a couple of young girls working for us at the moment who are <laughs> absolutely inspire me who have just blew me away in this last year and how quickly they're adapting and picking stuff up. And just like what I said back at the start, because this is all new, you don't need 10 or 20 years experience in it. You can literally come yeah. in young and start to really hit the ground running. I, I, I want 20 of them. I want 30 of them within the next few years. I really do. How did you hire them or find them? I'm intrigued. I, I, I really wanted to go down the apprenticeship route. I wanted to take someone young and do what I didn't have. I yeah. didn't want them to have a bad career. I want them to have a good culture. I want them to just be happy at work. If they are, that's what makes me happy. Seeing other people happy makes me happy. And that sounds really cliche and a bit cringy, but it just isn't. I love it. And I, I wanted to get them in young and and kind of just, I didn't want to shoehorn them and say, right, or pigeonhole them and say, that's what you do. I'm like, what do you fancy? What do you fancy doing? And uh, oh, I, let, let's do that then. And it, it's dead exciting. I've got nowhere, no idea where this is going, but I'm going to let them push it. No, because what I try and do is that I'm, I'm a watcher. So, for instance, mm -hmm. the first time at Paul Lancaster, I just sat at the back of the room for Founders Friday and just watch. Mm -hmm. But actually, both digitally on social media and stuff, I look for the doers. And it's the people, because I know how hard it is, that when you see people putting their own neck on the line to launch a new product or launch a podcast or run an event or do anything public, I watch and I try and celebrate them. But likewise, I know that they're the people I want to work with. It's not the people that have the CV or have the job title or whatever. And I, I just, I've on the back of my mind, I know probably about five or six people that I'm kind of just watching their careers and at the right point, depending on how my stuff go. And I'll be like, do you want to work together? And it's just, yeah, but it's yeah, all about, cool. I like, even if they try and something and fail, if I like them, because yeah, it's, no, it's totally that understand. you can't kind of uh, fake or something. Yeah. Cool. Well, very conscious. We've been talking for a while, which I know we do this for a living, but anyway, it's cool. Um, in every interview, I always love to ask a first few questions. And it's funny, actually, I got interviewed the other day and I asked the same question, but anyway, I own it. Um, what's the best advice you've ever had? I just did a post on this last week on, on LinkedIn. Um, it was It's the best and worst from my father. And actually, when I put the post out, everybody else started putting their advice in as well, which happened to be from their father. So isn't it great how much they influence us? And uh, he gave me the worst and the best. Worst one was once you become a boss, you can't be everyone's friend, which I I don't I don't take that on board. Because um, if people take a lend of you, it's on them, not you. It's they've done something wrong, not you. So, you know, I try to be a good leader. Um, and also you've got to look at yourself in the mirror, you know, so be humble, don't step on anybody and just play a straight bat really. No, it's funny when you were saying about the father thing. So my parents got divorced when I was like nine or 10. Mm -hmm. So I didn't necessarily grow up with a father, but my mom was my big role model. And I think okay. the big thing that I got from her was that with, she was a din lady for a long time. Then she worked on security and basically she balanced like two or three jobs to pay for me and my brother to kind of go to uni. But it was that work ethic, like even on Christmas day, she'd be working and we'd sleep in and we'd get up and we'd have Christmas at like 12 when she got back. But it was almost where I, you know, I think it's that, it's what you're when you're what you're exposed to when you're young is what almost guides you actually really interesting that have you ever had a master class it's a, like an online app stroke website stroke thing where basically gordon ramsay teaches cooking and okay. um annie leverett's teaches photography and stuff anyway and one of the ladies on it is anna winter that is the uh, creative director at Condé Nast and she was the person in Vogue you know like have you ever seen Devil Wears Prada she yeah. was the woman behind that which she got a bad rap with but anyway but she learned her craft when she was like 16 17 her dad was an editor in newspaper and she kind of got dumped with the jobs that nobody else wanted to do but you know without a degree she just learned on the tools the hard yeah. way and she just did it so the point that when she actually 
fashion took off and she got successful but that work ethic that she learned from her dad yep. and one of the interesting things was she was saying that the back in this was like the 60s and 70s they i think they had 14 different editions of a newspaper that they had to get out every day which was from the racing post in the morning all the way through so her dad was just like decision decisions and it's just embedded in her but what was interesting was that although i knew of the character it was only when i really learned more about her story i really kind of bought into it and i think that's something that you get with podcasts or live streams or long form content that there'll be people that might not have known you before this but to be like ah oh, i quite like that guy i quite like his approach and you just don't get that with little clips or text or whatever yeah yep. if you were to give advice to your younger self and i promise this is the last question <laughs> what would it be just do it that's it I, I always live by that night motto i love it i always say it's 30 years old it's a catch-all no matter what your ability is or anything just do it simple hmm? is there anything you would like to talk about plug um anything before you go yeah i'm not a fan of, of plugging anything because i, I don't plug want your own podcast plug I, it I, well yeah well you can see in industry angels my podcast but um you know i'm, I'm just humbled that you've asked me to come on your show steve you're doing so well so thank you so much um but, I don't but, want anything out of anybody. <laughs> but the thing is, but I, the reason why is because I knew you'd be able to add value. That you know, likewise, there's a lot of people that want to pick your brains. And what's always interesting, I find this from my wife, is that people like to hear the same information from different people. It's almost like a sense check. Mm. So the amount of times that I've said to my wife, oh, it'd be a really good idea if you did this, and she'll just like poo-poo it. Then one of her friends will say exactly the same yeah, thing. And yeah, she's like, good oh, yeah, I took this advice. So th I knew that you would help inspire people about the wonder of putting yourself out there and doing stuff. And yeah, putting yourself out there is a great thing. I'm a huge advocate for content creation. So if anybody is watching and they're thinking about starting something, just grab your phone, put yourself out there, get yourself on LinkedIn. There's no haters, right? No one's out there going to hate on you. Just get it done cool what what time are we on we are virtually on the hour i really appreciate your time it's been a pleasure to speak to you i loved all the backstory and almost share you know listening to your journey and how you got there and likewise almost you know some of the swapping stories about why you podcast and why mm. you do things because everyone's got different reasons but actually there's a lot of like benefits to it and basically yeah thank you for your time and hopefully we'll catch up soon can i have a quick one you can I ask you a quick question you can ask me whatever you want you talk about your mom there's your mom still around Yes. Does when your mom asks you what you do, what do you say to her? Uh, it's funny when. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I'll be hundred percent honest with you. So my mom didn't go to uni. She's very bright, but she just at the age and stuff, she was never given the opportunity to do that. When I said that I wanted to go to uni and do mechanical engineering, as in like a master's degree to design mm -hmm. jet engines and stuff, she thought that meant like fixed tills and you know be a mechanic type hands-on stuff. And it was, you know, and she understood when I graduated and went into construction because she understood what that was. But when I went back to do a PhD, it was, she's very supportive, but she doesn't necessarily understand the technical bit. And to be honest, as long as I'm happy, that's all she cares about. But nice. what do I tell? So it's funny that she, I know she doesn't watch these, but actually she, she probably kind of does. I don't know. But I think we've got that kind of relationship where the, she it's not that she never says well done but she doesn't have to we've got a really good relationship we speak every other day or so and it's just but it's it's a mutual respect kind of thing and the acid test ironically is that if if she died tomorrow would i be okay with it and i would because there's nothing that's unsaid does that make sense i've often said that yeah and it, it, it's that balance where you know that's not true with everyone but it's and if they've had a good life as well and, and had a good innings, then you, you don't feel like they've been cheated. So you're, you could be at peace with it. But yeah. I'll tell you what it is, when that time comes, I'm going to be a wreck because I'm a huge fan of my mum. <laughs> I've got another random question for you. It might get very morbid though. You know, you were saying before about how um, aims and goals and ambitions and stuff. One of the things that I've started to think, and this might be really bad, is that I, I love being active and, you know, using my brain and that kind of thing. I'm really scared about the day, one day, where I lose independence yeah. or brain function or whatever. And it's almost where I don't know if I want to live to 110. You know, it's almost where there's things that I want to achieve. And actually growing up, it's funny, actually, when I was probably about 17, I wrote a list of loads of things I'd love to do. One of which I've never been arrested. I've always wanted to get arrested one day. Well, I, can, I can sort that out for you. Yeah, carry on, keep going. But Everest was one of them. But the point is, it's almost where 
at a certain point, I hope that I will have at least tried everything I want to do, even if yeah. I fail at it. Yeah. I'll be like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm good. And then I'll give all my money to a cat's home, wasn't it? But it's just uh, fabulous. Anyway, cool. <laughs> I'd, I was just going to say the one thing that worries me is not being able to do what I want to do because I just can't. I love leaping, jumping, riding, throwing, swimming. <laughs> but you know, it is. We're getting younger and younger as we get older. So a letter from the king, Steve. That's what we'll be getting. Oh, maybe, maybe. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. I promise I'll end the call now. But uh, it's been genuinely, it's a pleasure to kind of catch up and hopefully I will see you around. And as soon as I get my photos from Chris Owens, I'm sure you'll see them as well. <laughs> I'll be getting a signed copy. Thanks, Steve. No worries. All right. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Oh, and it didn't connect. So I'm going to do it.